0: in church. So good to see you guys today. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Landon Porter. I'm the new groups pastor here. Um, and since I'm new, I'm going to give you guys some information about me, so you know who I am up here, so you're not just thinking there's some stranger up on the stage, okay? Uh, first thing is this. I was actually born and raised in Seattle, Washington. But I like to say I got to Texas as fast as I could, All right, I got down here for college, and once I got here, I fell in love with the barbecue, um, fell in love with the son, and fell in love with the girl, who is now my wife. So um, I like to call myself a a native Texan, although I'm really not, because I still got roots in the Pacific Northwest. Second thing about me is this. um, I'm kind of all things sports, right? I mean, if you don't know me, um, you'll soon know. I've got teams I like to cheer and support for. I play sports. I'm exercising all the time. And honestly, um, I was a former coach. So you're going to hear a lot of that as I talk. There may be some sports, you know, uh, uh, sports analogies. Um, There could be some pregame talk coming out, just trying to get you guys fired up, but that's just kind of who I am. And the third thing, probably even most important, is this. I'm not perfect. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I think some people think pastors have it all put together. And guys, I really don't. Um, I really do believe in this one leadership principle, and that's lead with a limp. I've got a limp. I've got things that I've dealt with in the past that I'm still dealing with now that lead me to be the person Jesus wants me to be. And hopefully it's something you guys can learn from and grow from. We can do this thing together. So that's a little bit more about me. Um, I'm going to pray as we get into this. We have a lot of stuff to cover today, so let's ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning. And thank you for these people that come that are committed to you and want to hear and learn and grow in what your word has to say. And Lord, I pray that as I speak, that you would take these words, translate them through your spirit to people's hearts in a way that uh, would be impactful to their lives. Thank you for Cibolo Creek and who we are and what we can do for your community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, well, um, we've been in a series here called The Future is Bright, right? In fact, I think Pastor Paul said the future is bright if we live our lives aligned with God's design, right? And I think that's the way it is in a whole lot of areas of life, right? If we do things the way we're supposed to do them, we get better results, right? If you use tools where they're supposed to be used, they, they, they're useful for you. But there's other things, you know, like maybe a computer, not designed to be used as a fishbowl, right? I mean, it, it looks nice, but not as designed. Maybe use a computer for a place to grill. I don't know if the guys outside are using those right now or not, but that's not the way it's designed to be used. Because if we want to use things the way they're designed, we get better results. And the fact is this. God's given us one life. And this one life, if we use it the way he designed it to, we're going to get better results, right? So it truly truly is our future is bright if we live according to God's design. So I'm going to start with a little game. This may not be the smartest thing for a preacher to do, but I'm going to ask you to pull out your cell phones. (laughs) Yeah, we've all got them, right? I mean, who would leave home without their cell phone? Okay, and now I'm gonna ask you to do something even crazier. Turn on the volume and turn on your ringer. This may backfire on me. I don't know, we'll see. (laughs) What I wanna do is I wanna play a little game where I want you to uh, take your phone right now and find someone here that's in the audience that you didn't come to church with here today. And when I say go, give them a call. The first person to answer the ring gets a little prize. So you may wanna participate here, all right? So if you have your phone, pull it out. When I say go... Call someone here you didn't come to church with. Go. I'm listening. I right, hear right up here. Oh, you got a call. Very good. Hey, Chris has got a little prize for you. And who called you? My mother. Right, she gets a little prize as well. That's awesome. <laughs> She's back there. Perfect. Look at that. I love it. Man, just think about that. We've got these phones on us constantly nowadays. So really, these little things here keep us connected. But think about 25. 30 years ago, right? It wasn't that way. In fact, that would have never happened in this auditorium 25 years ago, because today we're more connected than we ever have been. In fact, these little phones, I think some of us have a love-hate relationship with, right? Like we love having them, but sometimes we hate them because man, people can always reach me. (laughs) Think about this. Oh, there's no one coming off. See, I know this might be difficult for me. I think currently we are probably more available than we ever have been, and we're more accessible in fact, stats prove this out um, not on the screen here. 47% of Americans consider themselves addicted to their phones. That may be you. I don't know. It's not me. I don't think. Okay, maybe it is. Don't ask my wife. 71% of people say they look at their phones the first 10 minutes of the day. And I might admit, that's probably the first thing I do when I wake up. Pick up my phone and check it, right? Think about that. That makes us sound attached to our phones, but it's because we think we're so connected. But it's kind of funny. Why do we even call this thing a phone? Like, I think the phone app is probably the least used app on my phone. How about you? Let's say it the same, same way. And think about this sometimes I call someone and they text me back. Why don't you just answer it? Or maybe someone, you know, I send them a text and they call me back and I have to think, hold on, do I want to talk to them or not? <laughs> right? Because we're constantly available. I heard it once a comedian said this he goes, calling a cell phone a phone is like calling a Lamborghini a cup holder. I mean, like, technically it does it, right? but I can do so much more nowadays. But here's the point, guys. We are more accessible than we ever have been. But I would question, are we actually available? Let that sink in for a second. We're accessible, right? These little phones here have got us accessible, but are we actually available? I mean, do we have the opportunity to be connected at a deeper level? Are we actually known by other people? What does it mean to be connected? Do we think it's being a friend or follower on Facebook or Instagram? Have we lost the meaning of friendship even? I just think because we're so accessible, some some of us are facing this this feeling of loneliness, which is an epidemic right now in our country. What I mean by that is we feel isolated, right? We're not in relationships. We're not in proximity to people who really love us and know us and care for us. But yet God has designed us for meaningful connection in relationship and community. That's his design that we've got to get back to. But yet, as a society right now, we're drifting towards isolation. In fact, statistics show that 52% of Americans actually feel lonely. And I'm guessing in this audience, it's probably even more than that. 47% report that, that relationships with others are not meaningful. Like in, in, in some cases, they're surface level, right? 58% report they sometimes or always feel like no one knows them well. Maybe that's been you, right? Like I said, we're so accessible are we truly available for relationship? And yet, guys, God's design from the beginning was relationship. Partly because that's who he is. He is in relationship. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to open up to uh, Genesis. We're going to start at the beginning and see what God's design is. Okay, so just to set this up, in chapter 1, right, of the Bible, the first, first thing he does, he starts creating things. But before he created things, God was in relationship. Think about that. He was in relationship with the Trinity, right, in the context of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He was relationship from the beginning. So this God, who is a relational God, designed us for that as well. And how do we know that? Because we're made in his image. In fact, if you look at verses 26 and 27, it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. First of all, realize there's three plurals right there, right? Let us You know, make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So obviously he was already in relationship and he's making us just like him. So so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Because of that, he says it three times here, guys, we're made in his image. And if he's relational, we're made for that as well now think about this up to this point god's creating things right he's creating you know the sun and the moon he's like oh those are good things right he said let me create animals waterfalls trees flowers he's like man that's good then he creates mankind And you know what he does right off the bat <sighs> sorry he says that's not good he says man i created mankind but that's not good and why is it because of this The lord god says it's not good for man to be alone I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Think about that. He knew right off the bat that Adam was alone. And so what did he do? He created him a helpmate. You see, Adam and Eve, they were created for relationship, for companionship from the beginning. In fact, that word helpmate automatically refers to the fact that we can't do this by ourselves. Like we can't live life alone. And when Adam and Eve were actually in right relationship with God and each other, there's a great line. It says right here in Genesis 2, 25, Adam and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. That right there guys is less about the clothes or lack thereof, right? But it's more about a relationship where there wasn't shame, embarrassment, rejection. There wasn't insecurity that holds us back from being who, we, who we're meant to be. That's the design of what we want to have. But of course, you probably know what happens, right? It just takes a, a poor decision in the next chapter and things go kind of awry. In fact, in Genesis 3, relationship is broken. It's broken by sin. And when Adam and Eve, you know, automatically make that poor decision, the first thing's broken is the relationship. First of all, it's, it's relationship with God, right? The first consequence of sin is, is a broken world and broken relationships. At that point, they went from naked and unashamed to naked and afraid, right? Then they went from walking with God to hiding from God. And honestly, I think many of us have been hiding ever since. Like if you think about it, most of us tend to hide or pull away from others when we feel the possibility of the sting of shame or rejection, right? We avoid and we hide. In fact, there's lots of ways we hide. Some us hide by achievement, right? We really search out and seek, you know, accolades and a good reputation and success and trophies. Society's all about this because it looks good to others, right? But it's a place to hide who I really am. Sometimes we hide by distance, right? Could be physical or emotional. Like we don't go to places to engage with people that may actually get to know us. And we actually don't want to open up our feelings to people because you know what? That's kind of deep and personal. So we hide by distance, sometimes by business. I mean, a lot of us say nowadays, I'm just too busy to meet with you, too busy to do this, too busy to do that, right? We've been telling ourselves for years, it's just a busy season. But if you've been telling yourself that for years, that's probably more like a lifestyle that we hide from others. Some people hide in addiction, right? We, we turn to the, the drugs, the alcohol, the sex, whatever it might be, because we're looking for a form of intimacy that we don't actually have. In fact, addiction has been called false intimacy. That much I know personally. I know what that's like. And some of us hide by religion. That's a tough one, huh? Think about it. I heard a theologian one time say that religion is the safest place to hide from God because you can look good, do all the things, check the boxes, but yet not really be authentic and real. So if God designed for us to be in relationship, what do we do about it now? How do we stop hiding? Well, the only on-ramp to connection is vulnerability. Right? It's to allow yourself to be known and loved, flaws and all. And look at that phrase, flaws and all. That scared you, didn't it? <laughs> it scares me too. Like we don't want to be known for our flaws. Like a lot of us hide that. We we hide the truth about ourselves, we try to minimize the flaws, to try to impress people. Society teaches us, look good, have your stuff together. But in doing so, not only are we hiding from others, but we're creating a mask. And this mask really it, it creates this image of who we want people to know and see, but it's not the true us. And here's the funny thing about that. And this is in my notes. I'm actually gonna go off task here for a second. If I have a mask on, the only thing that can receive love is the front of the mask, not my soul. And when I try to love somebody else, I hit the mask. I don't actually love beyond my actual mask. So we gotta take our masks off. We gotta get authentic and real because that's when true relationship happens. That's when we get known and loved. And think about this. In the garden, right? Adam and Eve are hiding from God. What happened? What happened? He pursued them. Like he said, I don't care about your sin. I want to have a relationship with you. I still love you. I'm going to take care of you. Same thing with us now. Like we we might have things and issues in our lives that we're trying to hide, but people in the church, people through Christ, we want to be there for each other. That's the design of relationship. Here's a great quote from a, a pastor and author named John Lynch. He says, what if there's a place safe enough to tell the worst about you and still be loved just as much, if not more, for sharing it. It's called an environment of grace. Let that sink in for a second. An environment of grace. Guys, we can't live in that grace by ourselves. We have to live it in relationship with others because we can't do this in isolation. We just can't do it. In fact, for us to be known and loved, we've got to know and love others as well. That's the design. And I really do believe life is better together. Now, let let me share something. Before I get to the rest of the slide, I'm gonna pull out my own personal story for a second. In 2007, I experienced an environment of grace. Okay, because at that time, I was actually a head basketball coach at a high school, doing pretty well. I was married, had two little girls. I thought life was going pretty well. I had crafted a really good mask, but inside I was struggling with sin. I was struggling with my relationships. Things were a mess in my world. And where did I go? Where did I turn to for help? I went to a small group to a small group of men who understood what I was going through. Went to a small group of men that were honest, transparent, grace-filled, and like-minded. All of us in that room wanted more out of this life and more in our journey of faith. I didn't go to a huge auditorium. I didn't go to a conference or some program with hundreds of men because you know what? I can get information there, but I wasn't going to get transformation. I had to get known to get transformation. So in this small group, relationships were formed, trust was built, it was nurtured, and life change happened for me. And since that time, I've been involved in lots of groups, and let's be honest, some groups aren't always perfect, but I've been in groups with men, with couples, with everyone, and I always like to try to base a group off of two things, grace and growth. And when we can do that, relationships happen in a way that is God-honoring. See, at that point in time, I know I needed growth, I needed life change, and I couldn't do it alone. I needed to be in relationship for authenticity, accountability, and learning. And guys, the first thing I learned is this, Christ made a way for me to have a relationship. Like that's why he went to the cross. Like he wouldn't have gone there if he didn't love me, if he didn't love you. So his sacrifice made a bridge for us to have relationship. And then from that bridge, guess what? I can have relationship with others. And in doing so, I can start to live out the one another's that are commands in the New Testament. When Jesus tells us to do things, he says, love one another, share each other's burdens. It's all about one another's. You can't do those alone. Like we cannot live one another Christianity by ourselves. Look at this. Be devoted to one another. That doesn't say be devoted to ourselves. Be devoted to one another. It says honor one another above yourselves. Well, I can't honor someone if I don't know them. If I don't know the real them. Serve one another. I can serve people I don't know, but man, the ones I know even deeper, that's a different kind of of, of service and love, right? Forgive one another. How can I forgive someone if I've not been close enough to them to be hurt. And that's scary. That's messy. But I can't live out the commands of Christ if I'm not in relationship with someone close enough to be able to practice out forgiveness. I need to encourage one another, spur one another towards love and good deeds. Love one another. It says it 19 different times. Love one another. You can't love by yourself. Love is with other people. So, no, soul here. So here's the thing. As a church and as individuals, we need to seek out and develop and foster healthy relationships. Because I really do believe our future is bright if we live out the commands of Jesus in the context of relationships. And can I be direct just for a second here? Those kind of relationships can't be found once a week in an auditorium like this. It just can't, right? Like we've got to do life on life, authentic relationships more often, right? All week long, 24 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's what this is supposed to be. We can't live it out by ourselves. In fact, you know what? You can't live out one another's sitting here looking at the back of someone's head. These one another's have to be lived out by this. We've got to be face-to-face. We've got to know someone. And where do I do that at, I do it in a group. Guys, we want you in a group. Okay? And I'm not, I'm not just saying that because I'm a group's pastor. Okay, that's, that's not just my job. This is my life. I believe we need to be in a group, all of us, because in a group, we can experience God's love and those relationships in a different way, in, in a better way, in God's design, okay? Now, I'm gonna tell you a little bit later some opportunities to get into a group, but I'm gonna say this right now. I believe we as a church, we will be better off when we're in groups and doing life together with other people. When you actually know the people in this auditorium, besides just saying hi and seeing what car they drive as they leave away okay? We've got to get to know each other. The best place for you to grow both relationally and spiritually is in a group, okay? So just, I'm going to say that right now. I'll stick a a, a pin in that. We'll come to it in in, in a little bit, but just think about this. We want you in a group. I'm going to go back a little bit to what I just said. We're going to grow in a group, right? We need each other so we can grow into the person God wants us to be. Think about human development for a minute. Do we have babies? Do we have infants? And do we just leave them in isolation by themselves and expect them to mature and develop? No, they need relationship to do that. Toddlers, we let them just run the world, go out and do what they want to do. Teenagers, please don't let them do that, all right? Like all those people in our human development, it takes relationship to help guide and grow people. Same thing in our faith, same thing, right? Like I need a parent figure or I need a mature mentor or discipler to help me grow spiritually. Like, I think we all need that. And where do we find those at? We find those in groups. Because that's where we're going to find someone who gets to know us and care about us. Tell us the hard truth. Hold us us accountable so we can grow and mature. Guys, spiritual growth is one of the best outcomes of healthy relationships. So what does it look like to be in a group? What does it look like to live this out in a healthy way? I'm glad you asked. Here we go. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 49. I'm going to set this up real quick. In Acts 1, right, which is, okay, Acts is the book right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It talks about the life of Jesus, okay? So in Acts 1, the author Luke sets this up. He says, hey, listen, Jesus has already been crucified, buried, resurrected. He ascended to heaven. But what did he say right before he left? He told his disciples, hey, I have to leave so that something can happen, right? So the Holy Spirit can come. So I like to think of it like this. In Acts 1, the disciples were waiting for the Spirit to come. And in Acts 2 the Spirit came in power. In Acts 1, the disciples, they were equipped. But in Acts 2, they were empowered. In Acts 1, the disciples, they were held back. In Acts 2, they were sent forth. And in Acts 1, Jesus ascended. and In Acts 2, the Spirit descended in power to then birth the early church. So Acts 2 is a great picture of what the early church and what this design is for relationships, okay? Here we go. I'm gonna pick it up in a verse, oh, here we go, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a great picture of biblical community. In fact, I would love to be there and part of those people, like they had just 41 verses earlier, seeing the Holy Spirit come down and, and saw Peter preach this great sermon and 3,000 people came to faith and got baptized. Man, it was an awesome movement, but you know what? What's the first thing they were compelled to do? Was to meet together consistently and with purpose. So let's walk through this. And if you have your Bible out or taking notes, there's certain key words here. It's okay to circle those or underline those in your Bible. Like get it marked up. This is good. All right. First, first word to mark up right here is this. They devoted. They devoted themselves. Guys, I don't know if our society understands what devotion is nowadays. Like we, we like things, we love things, right? But devotion is more about being super loyal, dedicated, faithful, steadfast. And guys, devotion is seen in actions, not just words. It's lived out with our hands and our feet, not in our minds and our mouths. To me, devotion paints the picture that every individual in this group of believers, they were for each other. They were for the, 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 the apostles and the teaching. They were for other believers coming to know them. They were for their neighbors. They were for people in a way that's committed. In some ways, guys, I think we as a church can follow this example of some things in our, our, our culture. How many guys here are sports fans? That's me, right? Too many sports fans bleed the colors of their team and not the colors of Christ. I can be guilty of that myself. Like We will stick with our team through thick and thin. Just look at Dallas Cowboys fans, right? <laughs> they will stick through it thick and thin, but yet when things get rough, do we turn to God? You get the, you get the idea there. We have to ask ourselves, are we as a church here at Sybil Creek, are we devoted to Jesus and his teachings? Are we devoted to each other as a family of believers? And are we loyal through the thick and thin of life? See, devotion is the first snapshot of God's plan for healthy relationships. Next up, here we go. There's this word in the middle called fellowship, right? They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, which if I'm honest, it kind of looks like a churchy word, right? How many of you guys grew up in a church that had a fellowship hall? Okay, the best part about the fellowship hall was the potluck food. Can I get an amen? That's right, okay? But really this word in the Greek is called koinonia. Say that 10 times fast, <laughs> It's koinonia, and that means so much more than just fellowship and food. What this meant was we did life together. They shared things in common. They shared their property, they shared possessions. They shared their lives at a deeper level. Koinonia is community. It's less of ourselves and more about the community, right? It was a voluntary opt-in type of decision. These believers, the early church, they wanted to be together. They wanted to do life together. They didn't make excuses. They they found ways to get through and be there, to be there for their people. They were not forced or obligated. They chose to love each other. That's a beautiful picture, once again, of healthy relationships. Next up, all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. See that? Together. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You know, when I read God's word and I see the same word repeated two or three times, that has significance. That's a, a reason. That's a purpose for that. I believe God's telling us here that we can't do this alone. We've got to do it together. All right, that's, that's the key. Like, I cannot just walk out of this auditorium, get in my car, go home and think, that has been a good week. I'll see you all next week. Like, we got to do things together. We're going to need each other together. Together's a huge word right there. Think about this. Um, in verse... I think it's 42 and 46 here says they broke bread in their homes. okay How many of you guys eat once a week? Oh, you don't. You eat more than that? Okay. that's good. See we eat often, but we should eat together in the context of this. they broke bread in their homes. There's a whole theology and I think a really good relational aspect of being together around a table right We need to sit down, share a meal together because you know what people make friends and develop friendships and camaraderie around a, around a meal. In fact, think about this. Back in junior high or high school, how hard was it to go to lunch if you didn't know who you're going to sit with? And you're like, oh my gosh, all the drama and the people and all that stuff, right? Because there's something special about going around a meal with somebody. And at that time, you didn't understand it was actually a, a spiritual aspect. But guys, that's a huge part of this. If we're around a meal, it's a sacred time for friends, for family. Like they didn't, these, these people didn't eat together because they were hungry. They didn't just eat together because, you know what? It's time to go eat. They eat because they wanted to be together. They didn't want to leave each other. They want to stay together. Personally, I'm going to tell you right now, I love going to eat with you guys. If you ever want to invite me out to lunch or dinner, I'm I'm there, okay? But like, I love the fact that I can get together with people in the church around a meal. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. How many times do we do that with people here? How many people in this audience do you see during the week for lunch, dinner, or coffee? Like, what if we started to develop this every day we get together, we have a meal together, because that right there, that's a whole other sermon about the depth of our relationships. So let's go on real quick. Look at verses 44 and 45. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I love that phrase, underline that, anyone who had need. Let me ask you, how do they know someone was in need? Well, they knew them. Like they had to know them well enough They had to know behind their their mask that that person had a need. And because of that, they were moved to to compassion. Like they did something about it. They didn't just say, you know what, oh, neighbor down the street's got got a need. Good for them. They said, you know what, what do you need to sell to to be able to help them out? They were moved to compassion for people because they got to know them. This personally convicts me. Okay, I'm going to tell a little story here. I lived in Indiana for last three years or so. And two years, I was living in a house on a street where we knew our our neighbors really well. But personally, I didn't didn't do this. I don't know how to see their need well enough to sell something and go help them out. Now, I knew how to help my neighbor mow his lawn sometimes. I love doing that, right? And that was my version of, hey, I'm going to help a little bit. But what if we were people that are moved to compassion for the people that we knew around us? See, this compassion... It was an outpouring of love that only comes from a depth of relationship. We've got to have relationship. Let's move on real quick. It says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Two keys here, I'm gonna do it really quick. Every day. Every day. That's pretty simple, right? Like every day. It wasn't once a week. It wasn't at Christmas and Easter. They met together every day. They met together where? In their homes. Right? Why is that important to be in their homes? Because like Kristen said earlier, when you invite people into your home, you're inviting them into your family. You're inviting them into your heart. Like, come be a part of me. When you go and visit someone's home, that right there is a sacred moment as well. You get to know who they are a little bit more, right? And what they did is they met daily in homes. They cared for each other daily. They won souls together daily. They searched scriptures together daily. And because of that, God increased their number daily. What would it look like if we were in Acts 2 church today in 2022, if we lived this out? Well, I'll tell you what. Here's what the result might look like. Continue on. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. It also says, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Those two verses are the promise of what could happen when we're living this out correctly. First off, it says that they performed miracles, right? In some translations, that says miracles. This says wonders. Like, what would that look like today? Cancer's being healed? Maybe addiction's being broken? Marriage is being restored? Why? Because of relationship with other people, right? And then it says this. It says, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Like, their lives were better, and it was showed because they were in relationship with each other. And of course, think about that. Favor of all people, that wasn't just the people in the church. They saw favor with the community, like right? With the people around us. Christians back then weren't divisive. Like they had a love that they shared together that was unique and different. That actually drew people to them. It wasn't divisive, it was unifying, okay? And the last part I love here is that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Who did all the adding? Was it the people? No, the Lord did. When we're doing things right, when we're living out relationship correctly, God does wonders in our midst. Like, I believe there's power in the presence of God. And when two or three are gathered, guess what happens? God shows up and he shows off. And he does things that you would not imagine in your life or the lives of the other people. Things that can't be done sitting in a row, It's gotta be done sitting in a circle, in a group, okay? So with this being said, I wanna talk to you about this real quick. <laughs> it would, be, it would be, it'd be bad of me to sit up here and talk about relationships and not give you an opportunity to find some relationships, right? So that's what this is here. We're gonna do a thing called a a life group test drive where you can just try out a group, try out this relationship thing, take it for a spin, see what it's like. Like when I go do a a test drive of a car, I'm not committed to buying it yet, right? I'm just going to try it out. But if I like the car, I might buy it and keep it. Same thing here. I want you guys to come take a test drive. We're gonna do groups right here on Wednesday nights. We're gonna meet here at, at the building from 6 to 8.30. We're even going to provide childcare for you. There you go. So you can come, we'll take care of your kids. You can find community, find some friendships. It's going to be a four-week group. Okay, it's going to end before Thanksgiving because I know life gets crazy after that point. But I want you guys to come and try a group. I really believe you're going to like it. I believe you're going to take this for a drive and be like, huh, I actually like some of these people here. It's kind of a good thing. So here's the deal. In the creek today, you guys got a, a QR code on the front of the creek that you can scan and sign up for that. There's also one right here on the screen, there. See, it's a scan me. You guys just scan that right there. Sign up for a group. Say, so, you know what, I'm gonna give this a try. Like it's an opportunity to just take it for a test drive and check it out. Now I know I'm not naive in saying that someone here is gonna go, oh, Landon, I'm not gonna do that. And you've got lots of reasons why you're not gonna do that. Maybe you're thinking I'm just too busy, right? It's an hour and a half, once a week for four weeks. But you know, it's, it's too busy, man. I got things going on with the kids and with the job and the rest of life, and I'm gonna tell you, when things slow down, I'll try that. Well, when are things gonna slow down again? They're only gonna speed up, right? That's just life. If this is something that you want, if this is something that you need, if you're feeling lonely, if you need to be in a group to, to find healing, to find help, to find growth, if this is a necessity for you, then you can do this. And we're here for you, for a life group, to create some friendships. Some of you guys may have been in the group in the past. I know that, right? And you're like, ah, that group didn't go so well, Landon. There were some weird people in that group. Well, let me just tell you, every group of people has a weird person. And if you don't know who it is, it may be you. <laughs> but that's okay, because guess what? That just makes things more interesting. <laughs> All right, guys, I know, I get it. There's been, I've been in some bad groups. I've been in groups that didn't click, that didn't connect, and that's okay. But here's the deal. I didn't give up on group because the need for my group was greater than my discomfort. Like I said, you know what? I need to be here. I want to be a part of a group of people because it's gonna benefit me and I can benefit others by being a part of it. It's a, it's a mutual thing here, okay? And lastly, I know that there's some people here that are thinking, Landon, I mean, this is just a, a big ask. Well, I guess I asked big ask to a big God because I believe we want our church to be connected. We want you guys to know some people and the best way to do it is right here in a life group. So you know what? Bottom line is this, we're better together. And I would love to help you find that opportunity in a group. So sign up today, give a life group a try. Don't leave without making the the choice to give it a shot. Because I believe your life's gonna be better for it. I believe our church and the future will be brighter if we do this. If we develop this kind of mentality of life on life, we're doing this thing together, okay? So before I pray, I'm just just gonna remind you, you have a chance to share in a meal together which is a good ch- chance to connect by getting some some barbecue outside. I know it smells good. It's time to go, go eat that. So on the way out, go do that. You already have your phone out. You can Venmo them the money. It's great. See, there you go. So go outside, grab some food. And then um, honestly, guys, if you have any questions about Life Group or Test Drive, I'll be right up here in the front. Come up here, ask me. And listen, if Wednesday is not the best night for you, sign up and I'll find a better night for you. I'll find a group for you somewhere. My, my goal and my heart to help you get connected to somebody because I want you to see the benefit of doing life together, okay? Let's say a prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you that you've given us this opportunity to be in relationship. And I pray, Lord, for the person sitting here in the audience who's thinking about it, who's not sure about it. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them. Help them hear what they need to hear. Move them to action if they need to move to action. Move them to, to ask them questions if they need to do that, Lord. But I pray, Lord, that we as a church can be a church of relationships, a church where we do life together, Lord, where we value each other more than we do ourselves, and Lord, that we would live this life together in a way that honors you and shines your light in our community. I thank you for Sybil Creek, Lord, and I pray that you would continue to bless us as we go forward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.